Juice Jacking, Public Psychotherapy, and Fun with Fortran. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug Ameth. He is Paul Ducklin. Paul, how do you do today, sir? I'm very well, Douglas. I'm intrigued by your phrase, fun with Fortran. <laughs> well. Now, I do know Fortran myself, and fun is not the first adjective that springs to mind to describe it. Well, you might say you can't spell Fortran without fun. That's not quite accurate, but... It's actually astonishingly inaccurate, Doug. (laughs) Well, (laughs) keep that in mind, because this has to do with inaccuracies. This week, on April 19th, 1957, the first Fortran program ran. Fortran, simplified programming, beginning with a program run at Westinghouse that threw an error on its first attempt. It produced a missing comma diagnostic, but the second attempt was successful. How do you like that? That's... Fascinating, Doug, because my own, what I always thought was knowledge, but turns out may well be an urban legend story about Fortran, comes from about five years after that, the launch of the Mariner 1 space probe. Spacecraft don't always follow exactly where they're supposed to go, and they're they're supposed to correct themselves. Now, you mentioned the kind of calculations involved. It was quite hard in the 60s. And I was told this semi-officially, meaning I heard it from a lecturer at university when I was studying computer science, but it wasn't part of the syllabus. Apparently, that bug was down to a line in Fortran that was supposed to say, do 51, i equals 1, 100, which is a for loop. It says, do 100 loops up to and including line 51. But the person typed, do 51, i equals 1, dot 100. Fortran ignores spaces, interpreted do 51, i equals as a variable assignment assigned that variable the value 1.100 and then went round the loop once because it hadn't been told to loop at line 51 and line 51 just executed once. I always assumed that that was the correction loop. It was supposed to have 100 goes to get the spacecraft back on target and it only had one go and therefore it didn't work. And it seems it may, it may not actually be true, maybe a bit of an urban legend. Because there's another story that says that actually the bug was down to a problem in the specifications, where someone wrote out the equations that needed to be coded, and for one of the variables they said, use the current value of this variable, when in fact you were supposed to smooth the value of that variable by averaging it over previous readings. You can imagine why that would throw something off course if it had to do with course correction. So I don't know which is true, but I like the do 51 i equals 1 comma 100 and I plan to keep dining out on it for as long as I can, Doug. Like I said, fun with Fortran. Okay, Both those stories. I take your point, Doug. <laughs> fun. Something not so fun, uh, an update to an update to an update. I, I believe this is the th- at least the third time we've talked about this story. So this is the psychotherapy clinic in Finland that uh, housed all its patient data, including notes from sessions online in the cloud uh, under a default password, which was leveraged by evildoers. And then uh, those evildoers tried to get some money out of the company. And when the company said no, they went after the patients. How awful must that have been, eh? Because it wasn't just that they had the patients' ID numbers and financial details as for how they paid for their treatment. And it wasn't just that they had some notes. Apparently, the sessions were recorded and transcribed. And those were uploaded. So they basically had 
everything you'd said to your therapist that one wonders whether you had any idea that your words would be preserved forever might have been in the small print somewhere. Anyway, as you say, that's what happened. The blackmailer went after the company for, what, 450,000 euros? That's about half a million US dollars at the time. And they weren't inclined to pay up. So he thought, hey, why don't I just contact all the patients? Because I've got all their contact details and I've got all their deepest, darkest secrets and fears. <laughs> so I can contact them and say, you've got 24 hours to pay me 200 euros. Then you'll, I'll give you 48 hours to pay me 500 euros. And then I'm going to dox you. I'm going to dump your data for everybody to see. And I did read one article that suggested that when the patients didn't come up with the money, he actually found people who'd been mentioned in their conversations. That, didn't someone's mom get roped into this or yeah, something? They, they said, said hey, yeah. we had conversation with your son. Like, we're going to dump everything that he said about you from a private session. Anyway, the good news is that the victims decided they were definitely not going to take this lying down, and loads of them did report it to the Finnish police, and that gave them impetus to take this as a serious case, and the investigations have been ongoing ever since. There's somebody, I believe he's still in custody in Finland, he hasn't finished his trial yet, for the extortion side, but they also decided, you know what, the CEO of the company that was so shabby with the data should bear some personal liability. He can't just go, it was the company will pay a fine, which they did and ultimately went bankrupt. That's not enough. He's supposed to be the boss of this company. He's supposed to set the standards and determine how they operate. And he went to trial as well. And he's just been found guilty and given a three-month prison sentence, albeit a suspended one. So if he keeps his nose clean, he can stay out of prison. But he did get taken to task for this in court and given a criminal conviction. As light as the sentence might sound, it does sound like a good start, doesn't it? A lot of comments on this post saying he should, they should force him to go to jail. They should, he should actually spend time in jail. But uh, one of the commenters, I think, rightly points out that this is common for first-time offenders for nonviolent crimes. And he does now have a criminal record. So he may never work in this town again, as it were. Yes, or perhaps more importantly, it will give anybody pause before allowing him the authority to make this kind of poor decision in future. Because it seems that it wasn't just that he allowed his IT team to do shabby work or to cut corners. It seems that they did know they'd been breached on two occasions, I think in 2018 and 2019, and decided, well, if we don't say anything, we'll get away with it. And then in 2020, obviously, a crook got hold of the data and abused it in a way that couldn't really doubt where it came from. It wasn't just, oh, I wonder where they got my email address slash national identity number. You can only get your private psychotherapy transcripts from Clinic X, you would expect. Yeah. So there's also that aspect that if they'd come clean in 2018, if they'd disclosed the breach as they were supposed to, then A, they would have done the right thing by the law. B, they would have done the right thing by their patients who could have started taking precautions in advance. And C, they would have had some compunction upon them to go and fix the holes instead of going, oh, let's just keep quiet about it. Because if we claim we didn't know, then we don't have to do anything and we could just carry on in the shabby way that we have already. It was definitely not considered an innocent mistake. And therefore, when it comes to cybercrime and data breaches, it is possible to be both a victim and a perpetrator at the same time. Good point. Well put. 
let's move on. Back in February, we talked about rogue 2FA apps in the app stores and how sometimes they just kind of linger. And linger they have. Uh, Paul, you're going to be doing a live demo of how one of these popular apps works uh, so everyone can see. It's And it's still, it's still there, right? It is. Unfortunately, the podcast will come out just after the demo has been done. But this is uh, some research that was done by a pair of independent Apple developers, Tommy Misk and Talal Hajbakri. On Twitter, you can find them at misk, M-Y-S-K underscore C-O. They regularly look into cybersecurity stuff so that they can get cybersecurity right in their specialist coding. They're programmers after my own heart because they don't just do enough to get the job done. They do more than enough to get the job done well. And this was around the time that, if you remember, Twitter had said, hey, we're going to be discontinuing SMS-based two-factor authentication. Therefore, if you're relying on that, you will need to go and get a 2FA app. We'll leave it to you to find one. There are loads. Now, if you just went to the App Store or to Google Play and typed in Authenticator app, you got so many hits. How would you know which one to choose? And on both stores, I believe, the top ones turned out to be rogues. In the case of the top search app, at least on the Apple Store and some of the top-ish apps on Google Play, it turns out that the app developers had decided that in order to monitor their apps, they'd use Google Analytics to record how people use the apps, telemetry as it's called. Lots of apps do this, but they were either sneakily malicious or so ignorant or careless that in amongst the stuff they collected about how the app was behaving, they also took a copy of the two-factor authentication seed that is used to generate all the codes for that account. Basically, they had the keys to everybody's 2FA castles, all apparently innocently through program analytics. But there it was. They're collecting data that absolutely should never leave the phone. The master key to every six-digit code that comes every 30 seconds forevermore for every account on your phone. How about that, Doug? Hmm. Sounds bad. Well, we will be looking forward to that. We will dig up the recording and get it out to people on next week's podcast. I'm excited. All right, moving right along to our final topic. Uh, we're talking about juice jacking. It's been a while. It's been about well, over 10 years since we first heard this term. And uh, I have to admit, Paul, when I started reading this, I, I began to roll my eyes. And then I stopped because why are the FBI and the FCC issuing a warning about juice jacking? This must be something big, but it's kind of their advice is kind of not making a whole lot of sense. Something must be going on, but doesn't seem that big a deal at the same time. I think I'd agree with that, Doug, and that's why I was minded to write this up. The FCC, for those who aren't in the United States, is the Federal Communications Commission. So when it comes to things like mobile networks, you'd think they know their oats. And the FBI, of course, essentially the federal police. So as you say, this became a massive story. It got traction all over the world, with, was certainly repeated in many media outlets in the UK. Beware charging stations at airports. As you say, it did seem like a little bit of a blast from the past. I wasn't aware why it would be a clear and present massive consumer-level danger right now. I think it was 2011 it was a term coined to describe the idea that a rogue charging station might not provide power. It might have a hidden computer at the other end of the cable, at the other side of the socket, 
that tried to mount your phone as a device, for example, as a media device, and suck files off it without you realising, all under the guise of just providing you with 5 volts DC. And it does seem as though this was just a warning because sometimes it pays to repeat old warnings. My own tests suggested that the mitigation that Apple put in place right back in 2011, when juice jacking was first demonstrated at the Black Hat 2011 conference, when you plug in a device for the first time, you're offered the choice, trust, don't trust. So there are two things here. First, you do have to intervene. And secondly, if your phone's locked, somebody can't get at the trust, don't trust button secretly by just reaching over and tapping the button for you. Android, I found something similar. When you plug in a device, it starts charging, but you have to go into the settings menu and to the USB connection and switch from no data mode into either share my pictures or share all my files mode. There is a slight warning on an iPhone. If you plug it into a Mac, if you do hit trust by mistake, you do have the problem that in future, when you plug it in, even if the phone is locked, your Mac will interact with your phone behind your back. So it doesn't require you to unlock the phone. And the flip side to that, that I think listeners should be aware of, is on an iPhone. And I consider this a bug. Others might just say, oh, no, that's an opinion. It's subjective. Bugs can only be objective errors. There is no way to review the list of devices you have trusted before and delete individual devices from the list. Somehow Apple expects you to remember all the devices you've trusted. And if you want to distrust one of them, you have to go in and basically reset the privacy settings on your phone and distrust all of them. And also that option is buried, Doug, and I'll read it out here because you probably won't find it by yourself. It's under Settings, General, Transfer or Reset iPhone, Reset Location and Privacy. And the heading says, Prepare for a new iPhone. So the implication is you'll (laughs) only ever need to use this Mm -hmm. when you're moving from one iPhone to the next. But it does seem indeed, as you said at the outset, Doug, that juice jacking there is a possibility that someone has a zero day that means that plugging into an untrusted or unknown computer could put you at risk i'm trying to imagine what it would entail to usurp one of these machines so that i mean you there's these it's this big like garbage can size machine you'd have to crack into the housing you'd have this isn't like an atm skimmer where you can just fit something over so so i don't know what's going on here that we're getting this warning but it's it seems like it would be so hard to actually get uh, something like this to work but that being said, we do have some advice. Avoid unknown charging connectors or cables if you can. That's a good one. Even a charging station that was set up in perfectly good faith might not have the decency of voltage regulation that you would like. And as a flip side to that, I would suggest that if you are on the road and you realize, oh, I suddenly need a charger, I don't have my own charger with me, be very wary of pound shop or dollar shop super cheap chargers. <laughs> if you want to know why, go to YouTube and search for a fellow called Big Clive. He buys cheap (laughs) electronic devices like this, takes them apart, analyzes the circuitry, and makes a video. He's got a fantastic one about a knockoff Apple charger. Looks like an Apple USB charger that he bought for one pound in a pound shop in Scotland. And when he takes it apart, be prepared to be shocked. He also prints out the manufacturer's circuit diagram. And he actually goes through with a Sharpie and puts it under his camera. There's a fuse resistor. They didn't include that. They left that out. Here's a protective circuit. They left out all those components. And eventually it's down to about half the components that the manufacturer claimed was in the device. Oh, my. 
there's a point where there's a gap between the mains voltage, which in the UK would be 230 volts AC at 50 hertz, and a trace on the circuit board, which would be at the delivery voltage, which for USB is 5 volts. And that gap, Doug, is probably a fraction of a millimeter. How about that? So yes, (laughs) avoid unknown connectors. Great great advice. Uh, Carry your own. Um, This is a good one, Uh, especially if you're on the run and you need to charge quickly. uh, Aside from the security implications, lock or turn off your phone before connecting it to a charger or computer. If you turn off your phone, it'll charge much faster. So that's something right there. It also ensures that if your phone does get stolen, which you could argue is a bit more likely at one of these multi-user charging stations, isn't it? It also means that if you do plug it in and a trust prompt does pop up, then it's not just sitting there for someone else to go, ha, 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 that looks like fun, and clicking the button you did not expect. All right, and then we've got uh, consider untrusting all devices on your iPhone before risking an unknown computer or charger. That's the uh, settings you just walked through earlier under settings, general transfer, and reset iPhone. deep down into, <laughs> way <laughs> down in the pit of darkness. You don't need to do that, and it is a bit of a pain, but it does mean that you aren't risking compounding a trust error that you may have made before. Some people might consider that overkill. It's not you must do this, but it's a good idea because it kind of gets you back to square one. And last but not least, consider acquiring a power-only USB cable or adapter socket. Those are available, and uh, they just charge. They don't uh, transfer data. Yes, I'm not sure whether such a cable is available in the USB-C format, but it's easy to get them in USB-A. You can actually peer into the socket and if it's missing the two middle connectors, I put a picture on the in the article on Naked Security of a bike light I have where it only has the outer connectors. If you can only see power connectors, then there's no way for data to be transferred. All right, very good. And let us hear from one of our readers, something of a counterpoint. On the juice jacking piece, Naked Security Reader Not Concerned writes, in part, This article comes off a bit naive. Of course, juice jacking isn't some widespread problem, but to discount any warning based on a very basic test of connecting phones to a Windows and Mac PC and getting a prompt is kind of silly. That doesn't prove there aren't methods with zero clicks or taps needed. What say you, Paul? I get the point. There could be an O-Day that means that for some phones, when you plug it in at a charging station there might be a way for some models of phones, some versions of operating system, some configurations, where it could somehow magically bypass the trust prompt or automatically set your Android into PTP mode or file transfer mode instead of no data mode. It's not impossible. But if you're going to include probably esoteric million-dollar zero days in the list of things that organizations like the FCC and the FBI make blanket warnings about, then they should be warning day after day after day, don't use your phone, don't use your browser, don't use your laptop, don't use your Wi-Fi, don't press anything at all, in my opinion. So I think what worried me about this warning is not that you should ignore it. I think that the detail that we put in the article and the tips that we just went through suggest that we do take it more than seriously enough, and we've got some decent advice in there that you can follow if you want. What worries me about this kind of warning is that it was presented as such a clear and present danger and picked up all around the world in that sort of flavour that it sort of implies to people, oh, well, that means that when I'm on the road, all I need to do is don't plug my phone into funny places and I'll be okay. Whereas, in fact, 
there are probably 99 other things that would give you a lot more safety and security if you were to do those. And you're probably not at a significant risk if you are short of juice and you really do need to recharge your phone because you think, what if I can't make an emergency call? All right. Excellent. Well, thank you, Not Concerned, for writing that in. I presume that name was an irony. (laughs) I think so. If you have an interesting story, comment, or question you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles, or you can hit us up on social at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you, until next time, to stay Stay secure. secure.